Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. That song. Love the way it was sang. Amen. Appreciate that very much. Good to have Brother Stewart with us this morning. Uh, again, president of the Norris Baptist Bible Seminary. This is the seminary that I teach at and Brother Wiggins teaches and Brother Cox teaches at. Uh, Brother Anthony Mosley attends and Brother Isaac. And uh, just uh, where I graduated from, so school that continues to be a blessing and continues to grow. It's amazing how God's blessed the school. Brother Stewart's also the evangelist out of the Victory Baptist Church in Weatherford. And Brother Wedby was here just a few weeks ago preaching for our family conference. Brother Wedby uh, just retired from Victory Baptist Church in Weatherford. And so that's the connection there. And appreciate Brother Stewart. Again, this is his 21st time <laughs> to teach our Bible conference. And I still have, I have pictures of him preaching Bible conferences for me when I was at Nakona. And, uh, I mean, it's been a long time ago, 27 years ago. And uh, he had a little more hair than Still, still not much, but still had a little more hair there. But Brother Stewart's been a blessing. Come on, Brother Stewart, and teach. Good morning. Open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. There is probably nobody else because of the way that Jesus set him off in the New Testament may be more relevant to us, obviously outside of Christ, but maybe more relevant to us than in this hour than Noah. He is a very amazing vessel. Yes, man, but vessel. It was God doing what God did through Noah that causes us to remember him today. Amen? None of us are anything without God. But he is an outstanding figure. And those first few chapters of Genesis are so jammed full with tight little statements that you have to ponder them. And once you get a handle on those first 11 chapters, the first 2,000 years of human history, it is startling to realize just how amazing some of those particular persons in that time period were. We'll talk a lot about those. We've preached on Noah's Ark years ago here and the flood and so forth. And we will have that as a backdrop. You can't have a helium balloon floating around the room and call it Noah. Uh, Noah was primarily for us presenting the Bible in relation to the flood. By the way, he lived over 900 years. The flood event lasted a little bit over a year. Now I say the event, there are a lot of things that happened after the flood that you have to factor in. And we'll touch on that also. But you have to give him a context. You got to give him a setting. And when you get that setting in place, he becomes amazing. But again, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Look at the screen here, and we'll have a slide come up. All right, hopefully you've seen this flyer. If not, you're seeing it now. A man for our times. Noah, a man for our times. Would you agree we're living in interesting times? You say, Brother Stewart, I hear preachers say that all the time. I've heard you say it. Yeah, but it keeps getting increasingly interesting. Uh, we have this wonderful landscape of prophecy. 
And it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. You don't quite know where all the pieces go. I just got through doing a jigsaw puzzle. I usually do one during the holidays. And uh, I swore again, there are some pieces missing. Or there's, these pieces I have left are not going to fit this area because the color is, is not right. The shade's not right. But I finally came down, and I was missing a one, one piece. I'm either going to blame that on the cat or somebody else. Certainly not myself. But right in the middle of the puzzle, there's a piece missing. But I got it all put together. And it's hard to put everything together. But I'll tell you right now what's happening over in Eurasia with Russia and Ukraine and Syria and so forth and the Middle East. It is, it is at least a preview, a forerunning, a setting up for what's coming. You really can't preach on Noah without preaching prophecy. So Wednesday night, there will be a prophetic aspect to this series because Jesus put it in a prophetic aspect. And we'll touch on that, but it's, he's an amazing man as we're going to see. Look at, up here for a few moments. On the left-hand side above his head, we're going to talk about Noah prophetically, practically, and pictorially. He is an instruction to us, and he's an inspiration to us as we're going to see. And then over here, it says... Many life-changing truths from various Bible passages about Noah will be explored and Christ magnified. There's some passages about Noah that you may not be aware of. Uh, some references that are very insightful. After you get past Genesis 6 through 9, the Bible refers back to the flood several times. In today's text, we're going to see that also. And then it also says down on the right-hand side, his family project, that ark was a family project. By the way, churches are supposed to be made up of family projects. And Noah was a, was a father extraordinaire. And he really set an example for us. We'll get into that more tonight, but especially Monday and Tuesday night. And then look on the left-hand side. A testimony, as few others, of the enabling grace of God. Just remember this before we pray. We're in Hebrews eleven seven, And I give you some more things about Noah. He could not have done it without the grace of God. When the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it's not really saying mercy. A lot of times we read that. We say he found mercy. God's going to wipe out the entire world and he spared Noah. Well, he definitely experienced mercy, okay? Because Noah was not without sin, all right? But the point there is the word grace. Very important. Freely given favor even unto enablement. In fact, that word there for grace is translated off and on throughout the Bible, favor or grace, favor or grace. You've heard of unmerited favor, unmerited favor, freely given help from God, okay? So just get that in your mind. Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, I want you to look down at verse number 7 after we pray, and we'll say a few more things because Noah really is set off wonderfully in the Scriptures. Father, bless the next several minutes that we have. Help us to, as was said just a few minutes ago, as we begin to worship, help our minds to go from anything else they may be on unto your word. And this is such an astounding situation we're going to peer into for a few minutes and the next few days. And I pray the Spirit of God would be present and ministering in our midst. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. You can look down there in verse 7. And let me just tell you, the very fact that he's in this passage says a lot about him. He is in a reference that's extremely exciting. 
when you get a hold of what it's saying. Look at verse 7. Let's read it and let's do a cross-reference or two and then we'll get into that passage. Look at Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By the way, if that had not happened, we would not be here today. That would have been the end of civilization. There would not have been another 4,000 years of history. It's an amazing passage. Turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 14. The Bible conferences are meant to reinforce that you're in the right kind of a church that gives such due attention to Bible study. It's meant to encourage you to stay put, so to speak, as the Lord would lead you. It's also meant to get a, a specific theme across. We have a theme. And I think if I was going to be asked across America, outside of preaching the gospel, is there something you could preach that would help us in our churches today? It would probably be this series, unless the Lord directed otherwise. Because it is so pertinent, as you can see, in our world situation today. But there's a theme, and we'll be emphasizing that. But thirdly, the Bible is an astounding book. Nothing so sets it off like Christ and who He is. But when you cross-reference, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Amen. But you've got to know it. You've got to know how to use it. That's why you want to be in a church that uses the Bible. And so look at Ezekiel. Look at chapter 14. This is many years later. This is like 2,500 years after the flood. Okay, Israel, especially Judah, Israel's more or less gone, but as, as a whole, the nation as a whole, the last two tribes are going into captivity, are actually experiencing it. And Ezekiel writes these words from God. Look at Ezekiel chapter number 14. Come down through here and look what it says in verse 12. The Babylonians are coming in and they're destroying the city, destroying the temple. The Jews are going into captivity. They're actually having experienced that and it's still having its fallout. Verse 12, Ezekiel 14. The word of the Lord came again to me saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, going against my created order, going against the wonderful uh, principles that I gave for us to live our lives by and to conduct our families and to conduct our churches and our communities, our nations, our world, then I will stretch out my hand upon it and will break the staff of the bread thereof and will send famine upon it and will cut off man and beast from it. Let me just camp out here for just a moment. God is not setting up in heaven as a uh, spectator. Okay? God is hands-on, heartfelt, heads up. This is not a hobby. This is what God is doing. The universe is extremely vast, far beyond what we can comprehend. And God does not have life on other planets. Reassure you of that. Romans chapter 8 makes that very clear. Many other passages. I know there's a lot of stuff out there, but it won't work, folks. You just have to throw the Bible away. It won't work. And Satan's full of all types of deceptions and delusions. And by the way, the greatest ones are coming yet. During the tribulation period after the rapture, the Bible says even the saved, the elect would be deceived. 
because he's going to have liberty to do things he's never done before. And he's pretty active right now. Okay? He's setting the stage. And so this whole idea that America is sitting here in Ukraine and Russia and Israel and Canada and so forth. Look what happened in Canada not, not too long ago with the truckers and so forth. God's not just sitting up and looking at this. God moves in the affairs of man. God is moving the jigsaw puzzles together, pieces together. God is bringing all this together for us. And I will tell you this, the only reason we're still here is God is long-suffering. Long-suffering is not just patience. It's patience with people. Long-suffering is when you put up with challenging people. It's a, it's a certain kind. It's a special focus of patience. And you say, well, Brother Stewart, we've got to put up with you till Wednesday. That's right, long-suffering. All right? Shorter sermons, shorter suffering, okay? So smile and act like you're happy, and I'll shorten it a little bit. But anyway, this, this long-suffering, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And most of you know, we'll look at it later, but the flood is a classic example of God waiting and waiting and waiting and warning and warning. Look at this next verse. This is astounding. Okay? God says, talking about Jerusalem, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, were in Jerusalem, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. He comes on down through, he says it again in verse 16, though these three men were in it, you come on down to verse 18. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. He says in verse 20, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Wow, it's got so bad. Now let me tell you when it gets bad. When God says it gets bad, this is what he means. It's not that he's just fed up and he just says, I'm out of here. It's not it at all. It's when the society has reached the point where there is no return. The people that populate the situation, ultimately the whole earth, they will no longer listen. In 2 Chronicles, for example, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them. And finally, God said they misused my prophets. They wouldn't listen to them. And he says there was no remedy. When there's no remedy left to turn this world back around, then God steps in. And folks, we're getting there if we don't have a great awakening. Never give up. Bible prophecy is not here to discourage us. It's not here to cause us to just throw in the towel. It's to let us know, keep pressing on. Keep making every day count. Sooner or later, we're going to get out of here. We're going to have a wonderful eternity. But in the meantime, know that God's in control. Know that He knows what's happening. Know that He's moving in a certain direction but he's not willing that any should perish. And missions ought to be as lively as they've ever been. We ought to do being more in missions than we've ever done because we don't know how long we have and Jesus said, occupy till I come. Amen. Noah's a classic example of this. Now think about this. There's a lot of people in the Bible. There's a lot of great people in the Bible. God picks three people. By the way, when he said this, Daniel was still alive. Now think about it. You're Daniel... And you get a hold of Ezekiel's letter, or his sermons, I should say, and you see this, you go, wow. Now, he's a pretty old man by this time. Not real old, but pretty old, pretty far along. And he sees this, and God puts him in the company of Noah and Job. Wow. That's astounding. 
But look at the crowd that Noah's put in. That alone ought to get our attention. If you study your Bible, and I put some handouts back there, we're not going to take time to pass them out in the services because it could be very distracting. But uh, there's a little cream-colored handout back there, and it talks about the five major persons of the Old Testament. Everybody wants me to bring charts and diagrams when I come. I, excuse me, a lot of people, maybe not everybody. Wants me to bring charts and so forth, whatever, so there'll be several of them back there. But he's listed among the five most significant men in the Bible. Adam. How many would think Adam's pretty, pretty important? Yeah, pretty significant. You know, Adam didn't come along, we wouldn't be here, right? Number two, Noah. How about Abraham? You ever heard of Abraham? Father of the Jews? How about Moses? Would you say Moses is a pretty big deal? How about David? Those five men are your primary men. I would say almost without argument. Somebody may want to argue about it, but I don't think you can argue that. And by the way, all five of those men had a covenant with God. You know, God made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with Adam, made a covenant with Noah, made a covenant with Abraham, made a covenant with Moses, and made a covenant with David. You say, where are those covenants today? They're wrapped up in the new covenant, the New Testament. And God's going to keep His word in all those covenants. It's amazing. So, what if you stepped up here today and say, it's the strangest thing happened. I was having this dream and all of a sudden it was no longer a dream and the scroll came into my hand and God literally gave me a covenant. Can you imagine the God of the universe covenanting with man? Noah is one of the five men that God made a covenant with. Oh, by the way, we do have a covenant. Amen? Amen. It's called the New Testament. A, a testament is a covenant that requires a death to take place and for it to go into, into place. is a certain kind of a covenant. The New Testament is a covenant. And by the way, if you're saved, it's a contract between you and God. You say, what's it all about? There's 27 books called the New Testament that tell you what it's about. And if you're saved, you have a covenant with God. Now look at Hebrews chapter 11. This is not really, we're not saying it's strong enough as we should, and you're not, you're not making a big blunder, but to stress a point when you say Hebrews chapter 11 is the great hall of fame of faith, you're not saying it really right. All kinds of people have faith, okay? All kinds of people have faith. But your faith is no better than what it's in. I've sat in chairs that I should not have sat in. They didn't do what they're supposed to do. I was in a very challenging situation with a family that had gone through a very difficult circumstance, and I was as the pastor in that home, and I pulled a chair out to sit down, and that chair slowly went all the way down to the floor. And it wasn't one that was aired up. It was one of these kind of built with pipes, you know, and it didn't have a lot of support, and uh, it just kind of slowly went down to the floor. And I was a little embarrassed. I had a suit, coat, and tie on, and, and uh, whatever. But I have sat in chairs, and I've learned not to sit in some chairs. But anyway, look at verse number 7. This is the faith in God chapter. The faith in God chapter. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, you have to take into account the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. This chapter 11 just doesn't start out of nowhere. And then you've got to take into account chapters 12 and 13. So here we are in verse 7, several people that God cites. And you might be surprised who's not in here. He comes to verse 7, and look what he says again. The hall of fame of faith in God. By faith. Look how it ends. Look at the very last thought. By faith. It starts with faith. It ends with faith. Do you know the Christian life actually begins by way of faith? When we transfer our trust from anything 
or anyone else unto Jesus Christ to save us from the wrath of God for our sins, we've now not only experienced salvation, but we've started a life of continuing to take God at His Word. And it becomes a lifestyle. We just don't start it by faith. The just shall live by faith. We continue to live and our faith grows. Why does our faith grow? Because we learn more and more and more about God. That's why you want to stay in church. You want to keep learning your Bibles. You want to keep studying because your faith will grow. The more you see how worthy your object is of faith, the more you'll exercise it. And thank God, thank God, if the rapture happened right now, or if God takes you home, you die in the faith, or we go to heaven in the faith. And the Bible tells us we're going to be with Him forever. And it gives us all kinds of evidence for that. By faith, Noah. By the way, his name, name means comfort. Comfort. Being warned of God of things not seen as yet. That sounds like us. Have we not been warned of God about what's coming? Do we not have great details about Israel? Look at Israel. Look at Israel. They go all the way back to Abraham 4,000 years ago. And they're always in the headlines, so to speak. Newspapers aren't that prominent anymore, but I could challenge you. They're getting pretty skinny now, but when newspapers were in their heyday before we got that thing called the Electronic Pony Express, the Internet, Okay, before we got that, there was not an edition of a major newspaper put out that didn't have something in it about Israel. A little strip of country over there, not bigger than New Jersey, Rhode Island, and look at it, they're always in the news. Every president since the late 1800s has had to deal with Israel. Even the leader of Israel was talking to Putin and Zelensky trying to mediate between the two of them, trying to broker peace right now. Israel alone is proof the Bible's true. And God has some things setting up, and we'll talk about this Wednesday night. There are so many indications. There are tribulation period. You know, the rapture takes place, and there's a seven-year tribulation, and Christ comes back and sets up His kingdom. Thank God, before all that comes, we're out of here. Church age saints, we're out of here. But those events that are going to take place, you can see the shadows of those events already being cast on the end of the church age. We're not in tribulation, but you can see it setting up. It's amazing. We have been warned of things to come. Amen. As we talk about Noah more, you will be surprised if you haven't studied it how much God warned and warned and warned about the coming flood. I, I want to break the whole conference into the next few minutes because it's just like standing for the Niagara Falls. And I, I'd like to say some things, but I've got to say a couple things, okay? So look at this passage. I want you to really get this in your heart. Moved. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing right now in your Christian life? What are you doing about your walk with God? What are you doing about your commitment in marriage? About your parenting commitment? Are you getting your kids ready for what's coming? You say, how do you do that? Well, have plenty of food, have plenty. Oh, well, that's it's important, but there's something far more important. Do we need to build an ark today? Not literally. But in a sense, we do. Yeah, in a sense, we do. By the way, who did the ark picture? Jesus Christ. So stay with us. Don't, don't miss the conference because you'll be one of the few people in the church that don't know how to build an ark spiritually. Okay? Noah's a role model, and God uses it constantly. By the way, 
The same way he fit that ark together, that's the same way biblical truths fit together. All the things that make Christ the Savior, everything about Christ, that's what makes the gospel work. All these pieces coming together. Now look at this. Moved with fear, a reverential awe. I'm not going to tell you all about it right now, but the word had been out for quite some time that the flood was coming. Noah was born into a world, and he was born into a family that knew the flood was coming. Did you hear what I said? This was a generational thing. There was a faith passed on through several generations. And when Noah came into that home, he grew up knowing about the coming flood. His father was very concerned about it, and God told him, name your son Noah. And that name comforted his father. I'm not going to give you much more than that right now, okay? All right, well, you're the, you, know, you guys are the first ones here, so you get to hear some of this first, okay? But Noah grew up in a family of faith, amen? amen? It's a heritage. Some of you grew up in a very godly home, godly parents, godly grandparents, godly great-grandparents. Some of you may be the start of that, amen? And you're passing on to your children. But he grew up in a home where he knew about this coming flood. And one day God tapped him on the shoulder and said, Noah, you're not just wearing that name comfort for a reason. You're going to do something. And Noah, they'll be talking about you. Thirty-five hundred years later at Heritage Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. Now, he may not have said that exactly, but anyway, okay. All right, look what it says here. Move with fear, prepared an ark. Now, where did you get that idea? Well, if that's coming, I better go build a big ship or do something. No, God told him to build the ark. In fact, God told him exactly how to build it. An ark. Wow, what a vessel. The details that are given to us are so amazing. I wish I could say a few things about it because you'll see no in a different light, but we'll move on. <laughs> to the saving of his house. The saving of his house. How many would love, you don't have to raise your hands on this because it's a given, okay? How many would like to have a million dollars? Okay, all right, that's a warm up. How many would like to have all your children in heaven with you forever? How about to have all your grandchildren in heaven with you forever? How about to have all your brothers and sisters, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, amen? God didn't come to Noah and say, Noah, I want you to build this ark and, and uh, make it comfortable. It's going to be you and a bunch of animals. No, notice what it says. By the way, God came up with a family idea. You know, God's always had a son. God the Father's always had a son. God does not call Jesus his son. The son doesn't call God the Father his father just to relate to us. He created us as human beings with a parent-child relationship so we could better understand the Godhead. The same way you feel toward your children is how God feels toward his son. The same way God feels toward his son is how you feel toward your children. I thought I understood what it meant to have a heavenly father when I was growing up because I had a father. When I became a father, 
I truly understood as a human can how God feels toward me. Amen? That's a wonderful thought, Brother Stewart. Is, how did that just come to your mind? I got it out of Psalm 103. If you want to read that later, okay? This is a Bible conference, okay? So Psalm 103. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world. Let me just throw this out there. I want to say more about it later. If you don't think the ark is something significant, I know a guy up in Kentucky that decided to build a full replica. You talk about being hassled. You talk about being attacked. You talk about being misrepresented. You talk about being persecuted. You talk about getting the world's attention. He has it. And that's just a replica. We cannot imagine what it would have been like to have been that family and do what they did. And I want to say something to you right now. If Noah was able to do what he did in Old Testament grace, we ought to be shining lights in New Testament church age grace. Our churches ought to be blazing with the grace of God until the rapture. Amen. But we got to catch the vision. We need some modern day Noahs. Amen? Amen? Absolutely. You know, Noah got to see his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren and his great-great-grandchildren. That pre-flood world was something else. Look what it says here. And became heir. Heir. Wow. That, that is such an important phrase. This verse is so tight. I have to save a lot of it for tonight to actually get into it further. But let me wrap this up this way. Heir. Heir. Inheritance. He did not earn his salvation. Noah didn't get inside that ark because God said, you know what? I looked around and you're, the, you're not perfect, but you're the most upright guy there is. So you've earned the right to go in this ark. No, 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 no. Noah found grace. Found grace. Noah knew about the coming situation. Noah looked around and said, you know what? With that on the horizon, oh my. We know that God's going to provide some kind of deliverance of some sort, and one day he found out what it was. You know, all God had to do was this. Everybody would have disappeared. You know what he said to Moses one day? He said, Moses, that's it. We're just going to wipe out the entire nation. We're going to start all over with you. Now, God knew he wasn't going to do that. God was setting something up. And Moses interceded, etc. He didn't have to build an ark. Is God limited? Is that the only way God could have saved people is having built an ark? He built that ark so we'd have it today to even talk about. And I think the fact that that ark's been built. Tim LaHaye, a great prophecy teacher of yesteryear, used to say that he thought Noah's ark would be found before the rapture as a last warning to the world that it really was true. And that still may happen. There have been a lot of explorations. There have been some guys feel like they have identified it. But if that's going to happen, it's got to be done where you can't argue against it. But if not, I'll tell you what, that ark up north does a pretty good job because it shows you how feasible it is for it to actually happen. Look what it says here in air. Air. You know that's how you get saved? Turn in your Bibles as you wrap this up to Romans chapter 5. You know when we get to heaven? You know, we get to heaven, are you listening? This is, this is, this is really true. Our grandparents are going to be so happy to see us. Wow. 
Our grandparents are going to be so happy to see us in heaven. You say, who? Adam and Eve. You say, what do you mean our grandparents? What do you mean? There's no such thing as racist. There's the human race. The word race means line. We all go back to Adam. You know who got us in this mess? Adam. Yeah, he's the one that brought sin and his children inherited, inherited, inherited a sin nature. Eve was taken out of Adam. Her eyes were not open until Adam ate. Okay, she was deceived, the Bible says. Paul told Timothy that. She was taken out of Adam because she's under Adam's headship. And when Adam ate, that meant all of his descendants are going to be in that fallen state. He disobeyed God, he fell, the Bible says. He didn't just fall on the ground, he fell in the pit, so to speak, Psalm 40. And you know what happened? God brought the gospel to him, and they got saved. Adam and he got saved. God killed an innocent animal, etc. It's a great story. And that story continues on. Abel and Noah built an altar, on and on it goes. And one day Christ came in fulfillment of all that. I got my fallen nature from my father because he got it from his father because he got it from his father all the way back to Adam. I've told you several times the reason you get it from your mother, your mother wouldn't do that to you. Okay? Adam represents the entire human race. In Genesis chapter 5 he says he called Adam and Eve. God says, I call them Adam. That's typically why the Christian worldview take your husband's last name. It goes back to the Christian worldview. That's why you have in Romans 5, look at it very quickly. Romans chapter 5, look at verse number 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all of sin. Jump down to uh, verse 13. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that have not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him who was to come. In other words, you and I were not in the Garden of Eden. We didn't eat of that fruit, literally, but we did representatively. By God creating the human race from one person, because He gave us a choice, we're not robots, and we would, we, we would be so limited if we had not had this, we wouldn't know what grace and mercy and on, on and on is. Adam disobeyed God, he fell, and because we all come from Adam, we inherit, we inherit, we're heirs of Adam's fallen state. Why did God do that? By one man getting us in this mess, it would only take one man to get us out. Look at verse 19. You can't do it more efficient than this. When I learned this years ago about where I got my sin nature, I got kind of frustrated. I thought, well, why should I have to pay for what Adam did? But I don't mind paying for what Christ did. Look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, you can read this in verse 18 also, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of how many? One shall many be made righteous. We inherited a sin nature from Adam, a fallen nature, and when we get saved and trust Christ as our Savior, we inherit a new nature, a risen nature. We're born again. We get out of this mess the same way we got in it. We inherited it. Adam started it. Noah got in on it. He inherited the fallen nature. But when he put his faith in the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming death, burial, and resurrection, that the ark pictured and the altars he built pictured, etc., he became heir of the righteousness of Christ. Christ lived a life without sin. Adam sinned. Christ died for our sins, the sins of Adam, our sins and all. Why? So we would inherit his righteousness. When I got saved, I had my sin record removed, 
And in place of that, I had the perfect law-keeping life of Jesus Christ put behind my name. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Why? Because Jesus paid for my sins. And then he put his perfect life in place of mine. I'm an heir of righteousness just like Noah. Let's all stand as the pastor comes. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.